Today's episode of Unseen is sponsored by Dispatches from the Multiverse, an improvised sci-fi comedy podcast about alternate realities, parallel dimensions, and a quantum bagel toaster? Join Inventor Max as he haphazardly treks across the multiverse, somehow constantly running into strange new versions of his roommate. We here at Team Unseen are big fans of Dispatches from the Multiverse. It's a wonderful escape every week into a world that's only slightly weirder, but way funnier than our own. Check out Dispatches from the Multiverse wherever you get your podcasts, or find them on their website, dispatches.fm. Again, that's dispatches.fm. Unseen is also sponsored this week by Stellar Firma, a weekly science fiction comedy podcast from our friends at Rusty Quill. The show follows the misadventure of the Stellar Firma Limited's highest-born but lowest-achieving planetary designer, Trexel Geistman, and his bewildered clone assistant, David Seven. If you're a fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Red Dwarf, or <clears throat> another science fiction podcast that's just a step above Wolf 358 and just a tick below Wolf 360, then we think you'll absolutely love checking out this hilarious, semi-improvised space opera. You can join Trexel and David Seven each week as they attempt to take listener submissions and craft them into planets. The show is currently in the middle of season two, and so now is a great time to hop on board. Just be warned, space stations, AIs, plenty of absurdity, and a malevolent board await you. Search for Stellar Firma wherever you listen to your podcasts, or visit RustyQuill.com or StellarFirma.com for more information. This episode contains depictions of fantasy violence and strained family relationships. Listener discretion is advised. Long Story Short Productions presents Unseen Episode 7 We Ourselves by Sarah Shackett You're lucky, you know. Not many people see what I have back here. I've got the storefront, of course, and then the storeroom behind that. Then there's the office where I handle most of the high-ticket items. This? This is my private collection. It's where I keep some things just for me. For a rainy day, or if one of them fits the bill for an especially odd collector. And the unseen world? <laughs> oh, it's full of oddballs. 
Do you see anything you like? Anything on the shelves that calls out to you? The vials themselves are just glass, ever so slightly wonderworked, but nothing special. It's what's in them that's interesting. What do you think it looks like? Some people say mercury, sort of a silver muck. Others say they look like honey or maple syrup. I suppose they do look a bit like preserves. To the casual observer, it might look like I have the world's most well-protected jam collection. <laughs> I once had a burglar break into the shop. Completely veiled, poor guy, had no idea that magic was a thing. Walked right past this room, right past memories worth thousands, and tried to make off with my old Marin's turntable instead. Not that he remembers how to use a turntable anymore. Anyway, I'm glad you're here, you know. It's good to finally meet you, Passions. I can't imagine the shouting match involved in getting your mother to loosen her grip and let you come out east. Or anywhere. But I am very glad you managed it. I know your mother hasn't taught you much about what I do. Alexandrine has bigger plans. That's fine. Nicolas isn't the requin in charge of the clan. Hell, Nicolas isn't even the requin anymore. No, I'm Nicholas Carrick now. The surname's a small thing, but it's more American. A little easier to stomach around these parts, see? When I got to New York, no one wanted to do business with Nicolas Requin. No one. But Nicholas Carrick? Well, he's all right. Old Nick's got this nice little antique shop up on 3rd Avenue. Well, he started off as antiques, yeah, but he's, um, what's the word? Diversified. He sells records now, you know? Vinyl old memorabilia, collectibles, that kind of stuff. And if you ask real nice, and you got the right kind of glint in your eye, he'll show you the back room, where he's got all these funny little glass jars. And as for what's in them, oh, you gotta see that for yourself. But don't worry, it's the sort of thing you'll never forget. <laughs> all show, of course. The voice and the name and the little record shop in the front. But show is important. The tiny signals we offer to each other that we're on the same side. They're very important. A little nudge here and there to make me more appealing, invaluable. It's the same as my work, really. You know what the first rule of memory magic is? Write detailed labels. Oubliation is a delicate art. Delicate and precise. It isn't a simple matter to extract a memory out of a mind. For starters, a memory is a living thing. Our magic gives it shape, makes it definite. It lets us turn our thoughts and feelings, the little voice behind our eyes that narrates our path through life, into something else. Into this strange sort of quicksilver. Funny, isn't it? We think of our minds as being the purest part of ourselves. But when you actually see it, our ideas made real, they all look kind of like wine that's gone off. Oh, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. The point, what you need to remember is this. A memory can only be in one place. Once a memory is taken, 
Once it's out of her head and into one of these vials, that's where it is. We can't copy memories, only transport them. And once something is taken from you, you're left with a a fleeting impression, a memory of the memory as the fog descends. And a moment later, gone, like it was never even there. Of course, the reverse is also true. Once a memory is out in the world, it's there for the taking. A memory wants to be in a mind. It isn't hard. You simply bring the vial up to your head and... and something comes out of the fog. Something that isn't yours. A landscape you never walked through. A snatch of life you never lived. Except it is yours now. Yours to keep. Or to give back. This is the very essence of the work I do. Memories. Never shared, but given and taken. People have tried, of course, to get around that zeroth rule. To copy memories or refine them in some way so that they can live across minds, between minds. Who doesn't want to see the world from someone else's point of view? To not just make a memory of your own, but to get to show someone how you feel, how you think. For centuries, people have tried. You know what's the closest anyone's ever come? To figuring out a way to see the world through someone else's eyes? <laughs> Going to the movies. <laughs> oh. But again, I'm rambling. Get to the point, Nicholas. You're boring your niece. Here's the point. <clears throat> in order for a memory to be taken, I have to give it. And if the memory isn't in anyone's head, then how does a humble purveyor like your uncle know what they're selling? Hence, write detailed labels. It isn't enough to simply write, say, day at the beach. There's a million memories like that. You need to get specific. In that bit of life in the jar, what are you going to find? How old are you? How bright is it? How soft is the sand beneath your feet? And above all else, how are you feeling? There's a thousand and one things you need to evaluate in that one moment when you still have the memory of the memory. I have symbols for everything. Simple ones, never more than three strokes of the pen. A symbol for a pleasant memory. A symbol for romance. One for adventure. One for danger. And one for anything rare. Or unique. This one, that I've been using as an example. Just a little pedestrian seaside dawn. Boring and predictable, you can't even tell where it is. Whoever lived it didn't have any eye for detail. Bargain bin material at best. <sighs> Still, I might be able to get something for it. There's always someone who will put money down for just the thrill of having a bit of someone else's life rolling around their head. That sort of stuff's never going to pay the rent. But if you're doing business here in New York and you're not keeping something around for the tourists, you're crazy. <laughs> and patience, your uncle's odd, but he's not crazy. <laughs> 
You'd know all of this already if, well, well, if my darling sister wasn't such an insufferable stick in the mud. Oh, Alexandrine is a brilliant magician in her own unique way, and she has been a great leader for our family. But oubliation was never her style. Too focused on the little details. Too cerebral, pun not intended. Which is fine. For her. But, keeping you away from all of this, that I don't understand. When you were a kid, maybe, but you're a young woman now. And you're already going to have a tough enough go of it in the world. All of humanity too wrapped up in their own heads to even see who you are. And the unseen world's almost as bad. Years of recriminations, grudges, resentments. <laughs> Personally, I think they're just jealous. They've never gotten over the fact that God gave us harpies wings. It's all they ever see, you know? Their loss. They're so focused on the... The aviation of it all, they never pay attention to our real gift. Memory magic is our people's art patience. We invented it, and we are its first masters. Letting memories have a life beyond their maker? That, that feels important. It can even change people, you know? Give them a new perspective, or help them let go of an old one. I like the idea of being able to, um, Fit someone with a better set of mental glasses. <laughs> and I like the idea that if someone angered me, I could do far worse than killing them. That I could take their lives piece by piece until nothing was left of them. Oh, come now. You don't think your mother lets me putter around the Upper East Side just because I'm her baby brother, do you? I have to do my part for the clan every now and then. And there's nothing quite like an expert in oubliation when it comes to making a problem vanish into thin air. Our family finds its uses for me from time to time, but it's brought me my freedom to, well, putter around the Upper East Side and play with the limits of memory. And, once in a blue moon, they do return the favour. Case in point, I'm very glad that you came to visit, but uh, I'm afraid I had a bit of an ulterior motive to luring you out to New York, besides getting to lecture you on my favourite topic. I was wondering if you might be willing to help your uncle with a, a problem. I have an interesting dilemma on my hands. Want to hear about it? Good girl. I know family's complicated, especially ours but you can always count on it. I promise it's not stuffy clan responsibilities or any bureaucratic nightmares. It's, well, it's complicated and it's important. Let me explain. Five weeks ago, a man came into my shop, the kind of man that you see and um, instantly you have the measure of him. Thin, pale, sunken cheeks, watery eyes kind of man that has tried to squeeze too much life into too short a span. On the other side of the Atlantic, we call them hoovers. But here in the States, they're known as siphons. Men, and women I suppose, but they're mostly men, who make their living by making memories. 
then selling them to enterprising collectors like your uncle. The memories of learning a language, for example, very useful to a wealthy man in a hurry. Or the memory of a romantic evening out with a famous actor. Or the exquisite joy of seeing your first child born. If you're willing to give it, there's always a profit to be made. Never become a siphon, Patience. You live day to day, experience to experience. You waste your life obsessing over what others crave, not on what you want. And one day, you look back and realize that you don't have a life. Just holes. Patches of black fog. Mm. Plus, the pay is not actually all that good. Well, not unless you bring in something truly exceptional, which almost no one ever does. See, that's the problem. What is a memory worth paying for? How much would you pay for a memory of, say, um, skydiving? $80 American tops. Everyone thinks to sell their memories of jumping out of an airplane, but the truth is no one wants to remember doing it. They just want to have done it. How about... Hmm. Hmm. Ah. Swimming next to a great white shark. How much would you pay for the memory of looking into the fathomless eyes of death itself? Personally, I wouldn't pay a cent over 300. Hmm. Ah. How about standing at the top of Mount Everest? The very roof of the world. How much is that memory worth? $800 and falling. <laughs> more and more people climb the damn thing every year. See, patience, this is what most people don't understand. It's not a matter of magic. It's a matter of economics. Something isn't valuable because it's interesting or breathtaking or even meaningful. It's valuable because it's rare. It's valuable because it's gone. A memory of the last concert a famous band played before they broke up. That sells. The memory of the last meal made with a now extinct ingredient. That sells. The strange night in which you found yourself drinking with a young and beautiful prince 12 hours before he went missing. That, well, <laughs> that one more than sells. That one lets you retire to the tropics. <clears throat> This man who came into the shop. It obviously wasn't the first time he'd sold off parts of his history. But as we started to go over what he wanted to sell me, it was all... Well, it was all rubbish. Anarchic parties, long trips around the world, and so many strange odds and ends. Nothing but bargain bin material, all of it. I said I'd give him $900 for the lot. <laughs> it looked like I'd punched him in the face, poor fool. But then... Then he showed me this. I've no idea how he got it. Second hand, almost certainly. 
A man like him would never experience something like this in the flesh. I don't know if he stole the memory or inherited it or something else. I didn't much care. He had it and I had to have it. That's all I gave a damn about that night. You see, there's certain items that are out of bounds for memory dealers. Things we've all agreed are off the table. No memories of killing, no memories of war, nothing that involves taking a person and making them less than they are. Simple, really. We can't exactly offer payments for memories of a murder now, can we? It's just distasteful. Of course, certain events are too important, too unique to keep off the market, even if they do involve unsavoriness. Exceptions must be made occasionally in the name of the art. He had an exception. The bastard actually had a memory of a coup de tonnerre. I can't remember how old I was when I first learned about the coup. Knowing your mother, you probably learned all about it when you were still in Ecole Maternelle. Perfect bedtime story for your four-year-old. Once upon a time, every now and then, two great harpy families go to war, but in a civilized fashion. One champion from each family sent in to settle the matter, a contest of strength and power and mind to put an end to the dispute. Well, at least that's the theory. In practice, they tend to be more of a pause in hostilities. A bit of detente until the next crash of thunders. I've never seen one, you know. Not ever. Unusual given how often our family has fought them, but there you are. Wasn't even born when Alexandrine won hers. But outside of our rather <laughs> eventful family history, they're exceedingly rare. No more than three a decade, they reckon. And that number's only getting smaller. I couldn't buy this memory fast enough. I had to have it. I gave him $5,000 and he scampered off. <laughs> More fool him. I would have given him the whole story if he'd asked for it. Then I got back here and I actually took a look at the memory itself. And More fool me. Well, go on then. Aren't you curious? Try it out. See what comes out of the fog. You're there now, aren't you, Patience? You can see it. This memory is only about a decade old, by my estimate. But this place is one of our people's oldest battlefields. Somewhere in the forest of Fontainebleau, only an hour south of Paris. But the forest is thick, dense and rocky. Just the place to hide a small arena. In the memory, you're in the crowd, second row from the front. There's maybe a hundred people here. The two warring families, of course, but a few others besides. Harpies, the odd fay, an unveiled human or two. Anyone who could beg, borrow or steal their way in. You see rows of masked figures watching, waiting. Everyone wears a mask to the coup, of course. You're wearing a mask. It's one of the old doors. You leave any affiliation you have as you enter the arena. Only two people stand unmasked, the champions from each family. It is, after all, a battle between two individuals, not two armies. 
how it's supposed to work. But you see tiny flashes of identity all around you, don't you? A gold band here, a silver necklace there, specks of paint, half-hidden ornaments, a thousand and one private little ways of saying... My clan is going to come out on top. Then, the first gate opens. You see the first champion as he walks into the arena, clad in silver. He's tall, with long black hair, tied into a bun. You see his wings tense as he takes a spot on the floor. A thought crosses your mind. Well, not yours, of course, but whoever made this memory, which means now it crosses through your mind. My god, he looks so young. You turn your head just as the gold champion emerges. They're shorter than the silver champion, but more muscular. They're young too. Can't be more than 28, but they're trying to look older. They say you may live to be 400 and never see anything like a coup. Two beings at the peak of their magical ability, going toe to toe. Only two rules to what they can and can't do. Rule number one, no physical contact only magic. And rule number two, the combat goes on for as long as it has to. For a moment you see the two champions just stare at each other. And then all hell breaks loose. You try to push to the front as the combat begins. The silver champion is faster by a fraction of a second. You see a flick of his wrist and the ground beneath the gold champion's feet splits open. They only stumble for a moment, though. A breath of air is all it takes to get their first spell in place. Just a breath. And suddenly, there's a tornado in the arena floor. I'm not sure how long we've been settling our disputes this way, with one big battle to the death. I'll take it over all the cruel ways humankind comes up with to kill one another. But what makes this memory such a rare thing? is that feeling that you're getting right now as you watch. The knowledge that one of these combatants is about to, well, win. And the other is not. You see it start to happen. Everyone in the audience senses it. The silver champion takes one hit, and then another. He falls to the ground, grasps for air. The gold champion is right over them. They raise their hand and... And then the unthinkable happens. It was one of the other spectators pushing their way to the front. One moment you're there, the next you're losing your balance, you're falling, you're on the ground. And in that moment, the one moment you take your eyes off the arena... You miss it. Coup de gras. Well, not you, but the memory. Whoever made it? Atrocious, isn't it? A real coup de tonnerre from an eyewitness? Up there for the taking. If it wasn't missing the climactic moment, it would be the oubliation event of the decade. The auction alone would be... Well... Well, I don't even want to think about it, really. 
Instead, it's a, a Rembrandt with a hole burnt through the canvas. A curiosity. Maybe even valuable to the right buyer, but it, it's not a coup. It's... It's a swing and a miss. <laughs> Something is either there or it isn't. That is one of the foundational pillars of oubliation. You can move a memory from one head to another, but can't make it into something it's not. Which is deeply frustrating when you get as far into the business as I have. Because something you learn when you're around memories as much as me, Patience, they're not discrete things. We make them that way, in our minds and with magic. But that's our doing. The memories themselves? Well, they're more fluid than that. They're shared. They're they're the give and take between a hundred million cells connected through a trillion synapses. They're a cacophony of on and off and light and dark and relax and stress and urge and stasis and... Well, we're a collage of all those things happening all at once. But it's too overwhelming, so the mind makes a list. It orders, it creates labels to understand all the noise. It tells itself a story. We are constantly imagining that story. It's the thing we do best of all. We do it so often and so completely that we imagine ourselves. Each and every day, we persuade ourselves that we are. It is our very first and most lasting magic trick. You see, no matter how many stories you hear about how it doesn't work, about how it can't be done, Well, I've always thought there might be a way to, well, even if we can't share memories, that we could combine our stories. What do they call it on TV? Doing a crossover? And if any memory deserves a better story, it's this partial coup. So I kept going through it, looking for anything, a detail, an angle, some way to see what the person who lived this missed And every time I'd ask myself, are you watching closely? Are you really seeing everything there is to be had here? And I kept going back, just looking for, for anything. And you know what? I found something. Have you figured it out yet? What all of this has to do with you, Patience. Well, let me show you. Once again, you return to the hidden arena, Patience. You find yourself looking through someone else's eyes, waiting for the start of the coup de tonnerre. You watch the two champions take their place. You watch them struggle. You find yourself pushing to the front of the crowd as the warriors face each other. And of course, you find yourself tripping, falling after being shoved and missing that critical moment. And that's all there is to it, isn't it? Look again. You can't see the battle, that's gone, so instead look around you. Look at the people. Look at the person who just shoved you out of the way so they could see. It's only for an instant. Blink and you'll miss it. But whoever lived this memory 
there was a moment where they saw the person who shoved them out of the way. You see it now, don't you? The way I finally saw it after weeks of going through this. Because the culprit, well, she's short for starters, wiry, thin. Her wings aren't fully developed. She shouldn't be here. She's far too young to be here, but she's here anyway. I guess she just couldn't help herself. She'd spent so long hearing her mother talk about the fabled coup de tonnerre. She wanted to see one, the same way I want to see one. So she snuck in here. God knows how, but she found a way. Even though there are laws against someone as young as she is being there. Old laws. Laws our people carved in stone. But she doesn't care. She wants to see this with her own eyes. That's why she takes her mask off. She wants to get a good look at what's about to happen. She doesn't want to miss a thing. And as you find yourself falling in this memory, you also find that you did the pushing, didn't you, Patience? You're so young. You can't be a day over 13, but you're already so strong. And you look so, so much like Alexandrine. So you see, my dear niece, this moment right here, this is where you come into all this. I have one half of this memory. And you have the other half. In fact, you have a whole memory, but, well, I think we can do a little better than that. I think we have an opportunity to advance the art. Because if I can do this, fuse the pieces and I can do it, patience, then it'll be the next great leap forward. It will remind the unseen world that we're more than a pair of wings. It will remind them of our real gift. It will give us power. Don't think I don't appreciate the magnitude of what I'm asking either. To give up one's memory of something like that is, well, it's no small thing. But you understand, don't you? No matter. I don't need you to understand. I just need you to do something for the family. Or did you honestly think your mother had finally found some kind of heart in that chest of hers? That she was letting you come out here for what? A bit of fun? An education? Just to get rid of you for a while? Please. And honestly, what did you expect? An underage child sneaking into the coup? The scandal, if anyone found out. Leave alone what would have been done to you. <sighs> Alexandrine was so upset when I told her that she almost... Well, let's just say that you're very lucky that I persuaded her to let me solve this my way. Don't think of it as losing something, Patience. Think of it as giving something back. Something that was never really yours to begin with. You just took care of it for a little while. <sighs> Family. You can't ever get rid of it, so it's all about the give and take, isn't it? 
One day, patience, you'll be on the take again. I promise you. But for now, hold still. This has been Unseen by Long Story Short Productions. Based on an original idea by Gabrielle Urbina, with additional conceptual design work by Sarah Shackett. Today's episode was written and directed by Sarah Shackett, with script editing by David K. Barnes. It starred Kareem Cronflee in the role of Nicholas Carrick. Original music by Alan Rohde and sound design by Zach Valenti. Unseen is produced by Sarah Shackett, Zach Valenti, and Gabrielle Urbina, along with Angel Acevedo, Jen Schneider, and Amy Tangway. For more information on the Unseen world, please visit unseen.show. Thank you for listening. still listening. Wonderful. Hey, Unseen producer Zach Valenti here with a quick ask. First, if you loved the show, we'd love to know. Please take a moment while it's still fresh to rate and review the show wherever you listen, in particular Apple Podcast. Second, we decided to make this series to bring a little magic into a world that we felt could really use some. Please share this episode with someone or someones who brings magic to your life. You can tell them there's a message for them at the end of the episode. <clears throat> On behalf of whoever brought you here, roses are red, violets are blue. Thank you for listening to this podcast. So I could tell you, I love you. <clears throat> I also wanted to shout out all 1,162 of our Kickstarter backers who made this show possible. If you weren't a backer but would like to support the show retroactively, visit unseen.show slash support. If you ever want to say hi, the show is on Twitter at unseen.show. And thank you to everyone for sending your kind words and amazing fan art. That's all for now. We'll be back next week with Episode 8, Disaster Peace. Disaster Peace.